Welcome to the Discipleship Helps Podcast. This podcast is designed to accompany you as you work through the book, Discipleship Helps. This book guides us through foundational doctrine every disciple should know. From time to time, you'll be able to pause and write your answers to the questions in the workbook. We encourage you to read each scripture and cover this journey in prayer. So without further ado, let's begin. We hope you enjoy. Why don't we pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, uh, Lord, for bringing us uh, to the end of another year. Lord, you are faithful still. Um, Lord, I just thank you that, uh, Lord, we have your word which stands eternal. Your word does not change um, with the shifting of the tides of culture. Um, Lord, your word stands eternal. Uh, in spite of wicked rulers that may be in power, or, uh, even when good men fall, Lord, your word stands. And uh, so tonight as we uh, endeavor to study your word and dive deep into your character and learn more about your heart and your plans for us and the way that you work in this world today, uh, God, we just ask that you would uh, forgive us of wrongly held beliefs. Lord, that you would uh, let the scales fall off our eyes any way that we've been blind uh, to what you've been speaking to us. Uh, Lord, and that our hearts and minds and ears would be open. Uh, God, that we would be ready to receive. Uh, why don't we just take a moment, just hold your hands out, just open. Just take a deep breath. Lord, we just pause. We are fully here. No, we're not somewhere else. Our minds aren't somewhere else. Father, our hearts are here. Our minds are here. We're here, Lord. Would you do whatever you want to do in us tonight, God? Speak whatever you want to speak to us. We are listening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, so lesson nine, the church. Hey, I heard a good quote. Let me know what you guys think of this quote. Amen. The man who has bread on his plate today and worries about where bread will come from tomorrow has little faith. The man who has bread on his plate today but worries about where bread will come from tomorrow has little faith. That's good. All right, key quote. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. Both believers in the New Testament age and believers in the Old Testament age as well. Wayne Grudem. Shane asked me about this this morning. Right? We were talking about this this morning. Where's Shane? I characterize. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he was saying, so when was the church born? And the church is comprised of people from the Old Testament and the New Testament. When was the church born? Something to think about. Maybe we'll get to the answer in this section. Amen. Good. All right. Let's move forward. Key scriptures. 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Am I here to contribute or to consume? I wrote above contribute. Am I here to contribute? I wrote be consumed or to consume. Consume others. Okay. Am I here to contribute or to consume? I wrote above contribute, be consumed, or to consume others. Now how would you answer that? Because who are you serving? Who are you living for? Who satisfies you? Who brings you everything that you need? I would challenge, and I know that it was a moment of vulnerability and honesty, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But the, the answer both, the idea of both, I want to challenge that, push back on that. Am I here to contribute or to consume? 
We give freely, expecting nothing in return. Almost both. Yeah. This is the idea that we're going to be discussing tonight. We've been trained, I give, and I should get back in return. Come on. That's the natural thought. That is a, that's the way that it should go. If I'm giving, I should be getting something back, and, and, and it should be in like measure. I mean, I should be getting back roughly what I'm putting in, if not a little bit more, because I should be getting, you know, what my money's worth or my time's worth. I should, be, I should be getting something back for that. But that is what the pagans do. The love of Christ is to give expecting nothing in return. So we're going to get to that tonight. When people hear the word church, many images come to mind. Some people think of a rectangular building. What shape is this? It's rectangular, right? Ish. Yeah, okay. With a steeple. Or perhaps ornate designs, stained glass windows. I think our windows have some stains on them. <laughs> Wasn't anything we paid extra for. <laughs> Others think of a specific denomination. However, biblically speaking, the term church refers to God's people in general, whether locally, the seven churches listed in the book of Revelation, or globally, every believer. The church was never meant to be a building or an organization. Rather, we are the church. In fact, the Greek term ekklesia, which is used for the church throughout the New Testament, simply means assembly. It was foreshadowed by the Hebrew word kahal, used throughout the Older Testament to refer to the assembly of Israel. The vast majority of these references referred to a time when Israel had no fixed places of worship, emphasizing the principle that we, Jews and Gentiles, who are true followers of Jesus, are the church. When you read the word church in the scripture, it would be best understood to be the body of people comprised of, first, believing Jews who have, who have accepted Yeshua as King, Messiah, and Savior, and second, believing Gentiles who come to share in Israel's blessing by accepting Jesus, or Yeshua, as King, Messiah, and Savior. We together are one body called the church. Amen. True words. So who makes up the church? What's your right? Biblically speaking, does the word church ever mean a building? No. 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 It's refreshing, isn't it? Yeah. No, and I wrote assembly of people next to it. There are several topics that could be discussed in relation to the church. However, the three we will focus on are the metaphor of the church being the body, the local and global church, and the sacraments of the Lord's table and water baptism. So the body. In addition to being the assembly, many words and metaphors are used to describe the people of God in the scriptures, including a family uh, and familiar words, or a household, a bride, a priesthood, a people, a vine, an olive tree, a temple, a flock, and a body. So let's take a moment to briefly explore one of Paul's favorite metaphors used to describe this ecclesia. Before we do, though, it's important to note that in order to have the fullest revelation of the church, you should understand all of the metaphors listed above. Keeping that in mind, let's look at four points that can be extracted from Paul's use of the body metaphor. So there exists in the body both a unity and diversity of members. Do we remember what unity and diversity, what word we see inside of unity? The Hebrew word ichad. Homothu maiden. is all being of one mind, so many people being of one mind. It's good. So Romans 12, 4 through 5. Ian, would you read that out loud, please? Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body. Beautiful. Garrett, would you read 1 Corinthians 12, 12? The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. This is Ihad. There are many 
diverse parts, but they form one body. That's us. So if we are all the exact same, are we diverse? We may be one, but we would not be diverse. We would be a body made up entirely of hands. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the head of this body. Uh, where's Jonathan? Is Jonathan here? Did you have him working tonight? Yes. <laughs> Jackson, would you read Colossians 1.18, please? <laughs> and he is the head of the body, the church. Beautiful. Grace, would you read Ephesians 1.22, please? And God placed all things under his feet, and he appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, his body, the fullness of him who who fills everything in every way. Beautiful. So God reconciled Jews and Gentiles through this body. Let me say that again. God reconciled Jews and Gentiles through this body. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. Ms. Sharon, would you read that, please? For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, example, Jews and Gentiles. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Question. Do we see in this body this verse fulfilled? In this body inside this church? Are we able to observe that truth in this church with our eyes? Do you guys right now, if I were to say... Jews and Gentiles have been made one. Do you feel like that that's more of a concept that you have in your mind rather than something that you see with your eyes? Yeah. I'm just asking. What do you guys think? Yeah. 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 It's more of a concept that we have in our mind rather than what we see with our eyes. Yeah. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. So then we still have work to do, don't we? Amen. Yes. We still have room for improvement. Come on. We need to grow to a place where we see them as one. They are diverse and different. What I would challenge you guys on as I was reading through this this past week, I think too long we've looked and we've seen uh, Keith is different than me, is different than Amelia, is different than Michael, is different than Matt, is different than Sydney. We are all diverse and different, yet we are one. But we must remember the context of what we're reading. It's saying the diversity, like the Jews and the Gentiles, but made one. Meaning that they would still be able to be Jewish and that we would still be Gentiles, but we would be one. I would challenge you that the fulfillment of this is not when we can have artists and musicians and engineers and electricians and architects and we're all different. Uh, Introverts, extroverts, people pleasers. No, not that. That's not the diversity that we're looking for. But the diversity is when we can have people who were born Jews who still live... Uh, according to Jewish laws and customs, and we have Gentiles saved by Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, and we are made one together. And we are able to worship together and display that unity to the world. I would say that's what we're going after when we're talking about unity and diversity. That's the goal. Not just that we would even have people of different colors and races in here, or different backgrounds and ethnicities, but that we would be able to see Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. Because receiving Jesus is not changing to a different religion for a Jewish person. The body should behave appropriately toward one another. Just let that sink in. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26. There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So once again, we think, oh, if there's a a, a person who is um, impoverished in our community, we should be caring for them when they're hurting. True. Someone is sick, we should be caring for them when they're hurting. True. These These are practical ways that we can execute this. But when was the last time that you had equal concern for Jewish brothers and sisters when they were hurting? 
mm. or when things were happening in their world, mm-hmm. right? Things that maybe didn't affect you, wow. but just like you were praying this week for other people, right? And you realize, oh man, the world is bigger than me. I want to pray for these other people. When was the last time that you took them into consideration? Because in light of what we just read in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 26, the body having care for the other parts, we should be caring, shouldn't we? Especially when we're commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Yeah? So we have a job to do. They have a job to do. The hand has a job to do. The foot, the knee, the elbow. We all have jobs to do. And we do our jobs, and the whole body is taken care of. And the work gets done. Amen? Amen. Uh, thinking about the attitude Cain expressed in the phrase, Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> How do you think the concept of the church bears on the question? If your brother or co-heir in Christ is doing poorly, what does that have to do with you? What did y'all put down? Is it possible for a believer to have church anywhere he pleases? This took a little bit of thought, right? Not by himself. Come on. Perhaps the most important thing we can learn from this concise discussion about the body of Christ can be summarized by the words of the late Dr. Paul Brand. If each of us can learn to glory in the fact that we matter little except in relation to the body, and if each will acknowledge the work in every other member, then perhaps the cells of Christ's body will begin acting as Christ intended. Let me say that. We matter little except in relation to the body. Now that may not be what your parents told you or what the coaches of the teams that you played for have told you or your teachers, but that is the truth. We matter little except in relation to the body. That truth is not hurting your spirit. It's hurting your ego. It's hurting your pride. Yes. But that, that's not offensive to Jesus. Okay? We have to get a communal mentality. Right? Because when we, think, when we make it all about us, then it is about everybody serving our wants and our desires. And to the end that they do, well, then we're friends with them. Right? We're kind to them. Yeah, wow. Right? Lindy says this quote, I don't know where you got that from. Uh, if everyone treated others as better than themselves, then everyone would feel important, but no one would act important. Mm-hmm. What's that? Max Licato. Max <laughs> I can't speak to anything else Max Licato has done, but that's a good quote. <laughs> the global and local church. Let's move on. The New Testament speaks of the ecclesia in two different contexts, namely the universal church and the local church. Shout out to Catholics. The church's mission in these two contexts is the same. I'm kidding. (laughs) To bear witness to Jesus, to his ministry, death, and resurrection, and the salvation attained through him. According to Jesus' command, we carry out this mission when we go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything he commanded us. 
Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And Jesus' promise to us is that he will be with us in this process always to the very end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. The purpose of the local church is to acquire and retain members. False. Please state the purpose of the unified body of Christ, or the church, whether locally or globally. Miss Vera, did you get anything down on that one? So how can we as individuals, individual believers partner with the local and global church to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them? Here are some principles that will help us become better disciple makers for Jesus. Global church. Here we go. Uh, actually, Michael, would you mind reading that, please? The first one. Uh, pray for your brothers and sisters in other nations and for the gospel to flourish around the world. Pray for protection and for boldness in proclaiming the gospel. Beautiful. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 1. Praying for other nations may be difficult at first. One of the ways that you can get a heart for another nation is to go there. Yeah. Start asking the Lord what nation you can pray for. Pray for the, the uh, let's see, international pastors yeah. <laughs> that we have in other locations around the world. 2 Corinthians 1.11. Keith, would you read that out for us, please? You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted uh, granted us through the prayers of many. Beautiful. So Paul was telling the church at Corinth that they were uh, receiving help because of their prayers. So Paul, in his ministry, was receiving help because of the prayers of the church at Corinth. Have any of you ever been on a mission trip while people were praying for you? Raise your hand. Could you feel it? Could you feel it? Yeah. You can feel it. <laughs> There was a time where we were on a trip, and I remember feeling that I think they stopped praying. <laughs> it was like really late at night, and we were like driving or something like that, and I was like, I wonder if someone is missing their spot right now. <laughs> Just feel it that way. Go to Ephesians 6. Yeah. <laughs> Get up. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Allen, would you mind reading Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, please? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in the op in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Uh, by the way, the idea of pray without ceasing... So what they used to do is they had little one-liner prayers or real quick prayers for just about everything that they did, everything that they engaged in. Whether they would eat, use the bathroom, get up and look at a sunrise, right? Go to sleep, you know, get together with their family, get together with other brothers or sisters. Something good would happen, something bad would happen. And they would pray these little prayers all throughout the day. And they were common and accepted prayers that they would pray. And they would do it all throughout the day. And they called that praying without ceasing. Because they would hit these one-liners, two-liners throughout the day. And we look at it and it's like, am I supposed to be like praying in, like in the spirit under my breath like the whole day when I'm not praying? Is that what praying with us? It's always giving thanks to God in all circumstances. It's always being mindful of His presence. And it's recognizing that all things are from Him, for Him, and to Him. And you're doing everything for His glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Give! 
Give to global missions, organizations, individual missionaries, or international pastors, and or churches in other nations. Commit to give sacrificially and consistently the same people to the same people or projects for a specific period of time. Acts 11, 27 through 30. Some of y'all people that have uh, problems with the church are like, sweet, so I don't have to give to the church. No, that is not what it is saying. It says sacrificially. Let's go to Acts 11, 27 through 30. I know. I'm watching now. Acts 11. Mr. Deacon, Anthony, would you please read Acts 11, 27-30, please? Now in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Wow, great. So that's the way that they got the money to them. 1 Corinthians 16. You want to read, Caleb? 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3. Read it real loud. Oh, much louder. You got this. Now about the collections for God's people, do not do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it so that when I come, no collection that I will have to be made, then I will arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve, and send them with your gift of, to Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. The reason he was telling them to give ahead of time was not so that when he got there, he was like, okay, did y'all give? Because this is offered. Right? <laughs> I don't want to have to take up an offering. No, it was because he wanted them to give more than what they might have on hand in a moment. So they were saving up to give. They were giving regularly leading up to this moment. Extra, above and beyond, so that when he came, here you go. This is an actual offering that we put together, not something last minute that we we're like, oh, maybe here's a 20, you know. But they were building up to this, and Paul was instructing them as such. Let's go to Philippians 4. Brian Merrillark, would you mind reading Philippians 4, 14 through 19, please? Very patient. it was good of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the early days of my work spreading the good news when I left Macedonia, not a single congregation shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, only you. Indeed, in Thessalonica, when I needed it, you sent me aid twice. I am not seeking the gift. Rather, I am looking for what will 
increase the credit balance of your account. I have been more than paid in full. I have been filled since I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, one that pleases God well. Moreover, my God will fill every need of yours according to his glory as well, in union with the Messiah, Yeshua. Amen. So the idea was, it's not about me trying to get your money. I'm looking for what can be credited to your account. And this is a heavenly perspective. This is stop worrying about the motives of whoever is talking to you about money. Stop worrying about their motives. It's about you giving and heaven crediting your account. Okay? You are giving not just to man, but as unto the Lord. We have to get outside of ourselves and stop worrying about the motives. If God is leading you to give, give, give freely, generously, joyfully, and sacrificially. Amen? Amen. Number three, go on short-term, long-term, or permanent missions. Be open to where and when the Holy Spirit might be leading you to go. Matthew 28. Let me read this. Remember, the man who has read a scripture 40 times cannot be compared with the man who has read it 41. <laughs> Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. So you say all nations. It's a perspective change that's needed. It's not about you, but it's about them. This is the attitude that we have to have. It's not about us. It's about them. It's not about us. It's about them. It's not about me. It's about them. We have to have that attitude. Right? The world around us is teaching us different. But that's the attitude that we have to have. Three extremely practical ways to partner in the global church. Efforts could be described in these three words. What are they? Pray. Good. Local church. Give regularly and consistently. This is the concept of tithing, to put it very simply, or the setting aside of a tenth, or 10% of your income for God's work, especially His work in and through the local church. Now, right now, you might be assessing my motives. What kind of man is Nick? Is he the kind of person who would try and get my money, take my money? What's he doing with my money? What does this church do with my money? I wonder, they just bought these new light bulbs that are shining in the middle. Do they need to change this stage? What are they spending the money on? How much money comes in? All these things are, are open information. If you would like to know, we're happy to sit down and talk with you. We're happy to show you. We're not trying to hide anything. But the point is not... Are they, are they worthy of receiving my tithe? The question should not be, is this church, are these people, is this man who is talking to me worthy to receive my tithe? Let me analyze and think it over. You should not also be asking yourself, do I have enough excess money to be able to give my tithe? These are wrong questions to be asking. This is a foundational class, and so we're going to talk very simply. We're not going to convolute it with a lot of extra stuff. You should not be asking, are they worthy of my tithe, or do I have enough excess money to tithe? Okay? We love each other. Yeah. Yes? Let's go to First Timothy 5. Still. Nikki, would you mind reading verses 17 and 18, please? All the T's are together. Yes, if you get to Revelation, you've got too far. 
The elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the laborer deserves to be paid. Okay, good. I did not write this. First Corinthians. Miss Natalie, would you mind reading this one? Yeah. Um, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Okay. Yep, this is good. This is giving to the local church. This is the idea that you are being fed by the people who teach you the word of God. Now, when you look around at what you're seeing in our culture, too, if it's entertainment, then the way that your mind is looking at it is I'm paying for entertainment. But if we were to suspend that thought, the idea of someone training you for the life that is to come, the idea of someone training you and how to please the Lord and to live according to his instructions, that would be something that would be worthy of receiving pay. Okay? So that's a thought. We're not talking about entertainment and you're paying for entertainment. We're talking about the idea of these people are training me for the life to come. These people are training me on how to please the Lord and live in harmony with this world and with the people in this world. Uh, and lastly, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. You'll be quick on the draw with these scriptures. There. 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 Alright, someone who's there, give it to me. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Uh, anybody know what I mean when I say gross or net? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure Someone tell me what I mean. Before and after taxes. So gross is before taxes, net is after taxes. Now the government does you a favor. They don't want you to have to think too hard about when or how you're going to give them their money. So for most of you, they take it out beforehand, right? So how much do you actually make? After the government takes it or before the government takes it? Before the government takes it. That's what you actually make? Yes. The government just jumps in there as quick as they possibly can to get their money. So if you are giving the first fruits of all your wealth, would that be gross or would that be net? Gross. That would be gross. It's good. Serve regularly and consistently. Listen up because this will be the homework. Serve regularly and consistently. As we learned above, the body of Christ needs you before Uncle Sam and the gifts that God has given you. <laughs> Find somewhere you enjoy serving and then commit to serve for a specific period of time. You know what I wrote at the top of this page? Error. 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 Do you know what the error was? Someone accidentally wrote, find somewhere you enjoy serving. Yeah. That was the error. We forgot to change it. <laughs> so I apologize on behalf of the editing staff, which consists only of me. <laughs> We're going to change that. If you share in the blessing, you share in the burden. Come on. Okay? If you share in the blessing, you share in the burden. Here is the homework. Write it down because this will be a deal breaker going forward. Deal breaker. Meaning that if you don't do this, don't bother coming back next time. Okay? This is where we're all at. 
And there's enough people in the room where I feel secure that even if half the people dropped out, we'd still have a good time. So that gives me an artificial confidence. Here's the homework. Every single person in here, between now and next Wednesday, must have a place that they are serving in this church. And you're, this is the way that we're going to go about it. Come up to me, or Pastor Nick, or Lindy, or Danielle, or our elders, Mark and Brenda, the deacons, Anthony and Jess, Paul and Melissa, Ben and Jody get back on Saturday, so find them. Every single person that is coming to this class must be serving regularly. Yep. Does anyone disagree? That's way too harsh. No. We can talk about it right now. We'll hash it out right now. <laughs> anyone? Sweet. This idea of being voluntold, that's okay. You can call it whatever you want. We're going to change. We're going to change this American mentality in the way that we approach church. Okay? This is a community. This is a family. And we do things differently. You are not here to consume others. You are here to be consumed. But here's the good news is that we're we're in it right along with you. Yeah. We're not keeping track of the hours and saying, ah, 9 to 5, get an appointment with me in my office. I can't meet you there. We're saying, hey, our lives are your lives. Whatever you need from us, you let us know. We're doing this together. We're moving forward together. Every single person in here regularly serving or don't bother coming back to the class. I have zero qualms about saying that. Amen. Not even a little slight conviction like I should tone it down a little bit. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Romans 12, 6, 8. Let's fly. All right, someone begin reading as soon as you get it. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them properly in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, by the way, uh, if you come up and you say, uh, I would like to serve in worship, please realize that we don't, we don't just put people up there because you want to be up there. There is a filtering process that we go through before someone ends up on the worship team. So if you say, the way that I would like to serve is through worship, be prepared for us to give you bad news. If your life up until this point has not demonstrated that that is what you were called to, that you have refined that gift, that you have been practicing, that you are filled with the Spirit, there are many filters that we run through. It's not to discourage you from doing it if that's what you're called to do and if that's the area that you want to serve, right? But some people, like wanting to be seen or thinking that would be easier, Garrett, just kidding. <laughs> My default to worship because it seems a certain way, but we're breaking that we're breaking that stereotype. Right Did you have something you want to add? No. <laughs> All right, let's go to First Peter four ten through eleven. We appreciate you. First Peter four ten through eleven. Someone read it out loud and proud. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. 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 So we serve with diligence. We serve with generosity. We serve with cheerfulness. We serve faithfully. We serve with confidence as unto the Lord. Love. Love one another. Jesus says in John 13, 34 through 35, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. You want to know what our favorite compliment is when people walk into this church? Not that they like the building, not that they like the worship or the teaching, not that they like the decorations, but they say they love each other. You guys really love each other. That's the best compliment that we can get in this church. 
Amen? Amen. If we want to make disciples, we must be disciples by loving others, including our brothers and sisters in Christ, our friends, family, and neighbors who do not yet know Jesus, and even our enemies. Matthew 5, 43-48. Someone begin reading as soon as they get it. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Say that again. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beautiful. So we see, by the way, that perfect there is uh, teleos, which means mature and complete. Amen. Okay. So as opposed to thinking that someone is a robot, it means that someone is mature and complete. And how, do, how is that maturity? Well, Peter describes that we're growing and abounding and increasing in these things. And in the last one, the final, the ultimate is love. That's what we are building up into. And not just love for our brothers or those that we like to hang around with, but love for everyone, even our enemies, even those who hate us. That is maturity and completion and perfection. Uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. <clears throat> For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there are any other commandments, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, it is the fulfillment of the law. Beautiful. Love is the fulfillment of the law. What kind of love? Not just the love we have for our friends, but the love we have for everyone. This is perfection. I wrote, loving the lovely is no credit. In loving the lovely, there is no credit. And you don't distinguish yourself from the world. If you love those who are lovely, you're still no different than the world. That's not, that doesn't make you different than the world. It's when you love the unlovely that you become different than the world. Okay? Share. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your life, actions, and attitude. That's a big one. Share the testimony about what God has done and is doing in your life with others. Share boldly and consistently. Let's deal some of these out. Amelia, will you take Acts 28, 30 through 31? Mr. West, will you take Philemon 6? Uh, Lindy, will you take Hebrews 13, 7 through 8? And Emily, will you take 1 Peter 2, 12, please? Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let me read you real quick what I wrote on that word. It says, boldly, parisia, freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech, openly, Frankly, without concealment, without ambiguity or circumlocution or beating around the bush. <laughs> without the use of figures and comparisons, free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, assurance, the deportment by which one becomes conspicuous or secures publicity. We see this from Jesus in John 7:26 and John 16:25. He tells them he will be bold, okay? 
Acts 4.13, we see them asking for it in Acts 4.29. They did it in 4.31. This boldness that he preached with, that Paul preached with from this place, this was he spoke very frank about the gospel. He did not beat around the bush. He didn't use comparisons. He didn't use all these little vehicles and analogies and allegories and all these other things. He spoke very plainly, openly, with confidence and boldness. Right? This is the boldness that Peter spoke with when he was filled with the Spirit and addressed everybody. Same thing. Openness, clarity, freedom, power. Amen? Amen. Next one. Yes, sir. That the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hebrews. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate your faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the writer of Hebrews says, think about your leaders. Imitate their way of life and their faith. Good. Next. Live such a good life among the pagans that though they accuse you of, wrong, of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So if you're doing righteousness among wicked people and they start to provoke you or push you and push you and you're holding on and you're doing righteousness and all of a sudden you give in and you're like, you know what? I'm a this and this. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. You wasted your opportunity. Okay? The idea is to hold out even if you're being provoked by the world and let your righteous deeds and your righteous living speak for itself. You don't need to get caught up in all these worldly disputes and going back and forth with people. If they want to hate you, it's the spirit in them that's hating the spirit in you. Stand strong, and your way of life will be the greatest testimony Amen. to the people around you. Amen? So four extremely practical ways that you can partner with the rest of this church in our efforts to make Jesus known and make disciples for him can be summed up in these four words. Give, serve, love, share. Good. A note on tithing. A quote that has been particularly helpful to me in deciphering what our obligations are in regards to giving and tithing comes from F.F. Bruce. What the New Testament teaches on the subject is that a Christian's giving should be regular, systematic, and liberal. Not in the political sense, in the general sense. That he should not ask, what am I required to give? But how much can I give? And how much more can I give? That's a joyful, cheerful, hilarious giver. (laughs) The Lord's table and water baptism. Protestant evangelical churches almost universally agree that there are only two sacraments prescribed in Scripture. So, if you are a millennial or a modern-day young person, you're thinking, you know what? Catholics are cool because they got all these different kinds of sacraments. No, there's only two (laughs) sacraments that are prescribed. Communion and water baptism. That's all there is. There's your rituals. Get over it. Right? Communion, also referred to as the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, was instituted by the Lord Jesus with the Jewish feast of (laughs) Passover. As a historical backdrop, let's get serious. Jesus used this universal experience of the Jewish people to communicate the principle of being under a death sentence and then the liberation that came from slavery through the sacrifice of the innocent Lamb of God. Who sits on the throne? A lamb. Communion, among other things, is so that we might remember the sacrifice of His body and blood for salvation until He returns. He gives you the Matthew, Mark, Luke synoptic account of this communion. We partake of this symbolic meal regularly using unleavened bread, crackers, and wine, or grape juice where age or conscience dictates in accordance with the guidelines established in the Gospels and by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, let's turn there, 11, 23-29. Who's there? 1 Corinthians 11, 23-29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood, body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, well. So, before you take communion, recognize it's a serious thing. People were actually getting sick, and they were like, yeah, because you're taking communion the wrong way. Take communion the right way, and you won't be getting sick. Kind of interesting that he says that, that our health might actually be be related to the way that we take communion. Victoria, did you write anything down for how does communion relate to the Passover? Passover was experienced by individuals. They participated in it as a community. How do you think that relates to when and how we should take communion? Water baptism is commanded by Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 and was practiced by the early church as recorded in the book of Acts as a pledge or response of a good conscience toward God, 1 Peter 3, 21. Water baptism is practiced in a variety of ways by different sects or denominations of Christianity. We affirm the following three principles of baptism. Number one, believer's baptism. A person should be able to repent of their sins and accept the grace of God for salvation by faith before being water baptized. There is no prescribed age, per se, only that someone is old enough to understand the principle of salvation. Let me keep going. Immersion, or baptism in Greek, means to dip in water. Immerse, sink, or drench. According to this definition and the precedent established through the scriptures, we practice baptism by full immersion in water. Number three, in the name of Jesus, in agreement with the clear historical record in Acts, Pastor Eric Stevens commented on this subject briefly in his book, Law Dog, by saying, the book of Acts is the history book of the early church. When faced with the theological controversies arising from the scriptures, the book of Acts often provides us with the historical context or the practice of the apostles displayed in their daily lives. A very common example that most of you will be familiar with is baptism. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gives instructions on baptism saying, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We then see that the book of Acts records the apostles baptizing in the name of Jesus. This is Acts 2.38, 10.48, and 19.5. In the face of an apparent contradiction, most Christians have relied on the book of Acts to give insight into how the early church understood the words of Jesus. Without going into the entire argument, the summation is that the book of Acts clearly displays what the apostles understood Matthew 28.19 to mean. This practice of utilizing the book of Acts to provide historical context for difficult passages of Scripture is well accepted within most evangelical circles. Uh, baptism is presented as an option by Jesus. Yes, sir. What's the contradiction that he's saying or alluding to? Jesus tells them baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but in Acts you see them baptizing in the name of Jesus. Okay. So some churches will do it in the name of Jesus. Some churches will do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we have done in this church. It can be demonstrated by the Scripture that the apostles baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. True. False. 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 False.
In nearing the end of this class, it is fitting to reflect on the key question that we started with. Are you here to contribute or consume? This is discipleship, and it is an ever-narrowing way. It doesn't get easier, it narrows. And so we have to be prepared to engage with these things and allow it to change us, not us to change it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Discipleship Helps is a creation of the One Association of Churches. To find out more about the One Association, you can visit one-association.org. my heart is painted by your blood. You say that that's enough to satisfy you.